and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. This is a very special episode for me to do. I am joined by a very special guest, a guy that I've been speaking to quite frequently, you know, behind the scenes, but I'm finally getting him on the podcast. I mean, I did this before, but that's another story for another day. Cyril, say hello to the, the STS squad, to the family, and please introduce yourself. You know, I'm very grateful to have you on the podcast. What's going on, guys? Thank you, Stephen, for, for inviting me again. And uh, hi to everybody. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. We had a, a good conversation last time, and now we're putting this into recording. So hopefully we'll be uh, having as much fun. Um, my name is Cyril. I'm 29 years old. I am uh, a football coach, soccer coach from France. Uh, I currently live in New York City. And um, yeah, I coach, I coach soccer, and also I created... Um, an online coaching uh, platform called CC Management Football where I help uh, young players, ambitious players, kind of help them with reaching out to uh, their full potential and making sure they don't uh, have any regrets. And uh, I'm sure you're going to go in detail after. I'm sure you have some questions for that. But uh, yeah, just simply helping, helping, uh, helping players really understand what it takes to be a, a, a footballer. And uh, that is not just on the field, but also there's a big aspect called the mental aspect uh, that really impacts your, your performance. So, yeah, this is, this is what I do now. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I mean, he has quite a storied past and it's a very interesting one. I'll make sure to get all the juicy information you guys are looking for from Cyril for sure. But as he said, like, you know, he's very, very focused on the psychological part of the game. And one thing I want to touch on on this podcast and for the future is that football is much more than what you do with your feet. It's also what you do with your mind. And I would actually say, and Cyril, you can tell me what you think. I think it's like an 80-20 split, in my opinion, and 80% in favor of using your mental, using your, you know, your thinking skills to get where you want to on the field and how to communicate with your teammates, as opposed to strictly just what you do with your feet on the field. I don't know if you disagree with that per se the 80 20 i don't know because there's also the physical uh, component and the okay. tactical component yeah but and I, obviously I, I agree with you it's definitely a, a huge part for performance at least and for longevity and and for actually making career out of of your, of your football is definitely mainly in your head uh in terms of of course on the field the decisions the communication but also outside of the field there's a lot that can that can go on in your head when when you play well, but also when you play bad. Mm. Uh, your relationship with the co- with the coaches, with the teammates, the way you handle the stress. If you can stay focused in the game, uh, we talked about self awareness. Are you self aware of your strengths and your weaknesses? There's there's so much that goes into it. Being mentally strong is not just as we hear pushing yourself and not giving up and not feeling the pain. There's a lot more to that, and what I tell my players, it's it's about being in control. This is the name of the of one of the programs that I'm creating called that I created, called the, the Twelve Weeks Mental Program. Get in control because we go over every single aspect, uh, mental aspect for performance. And the idea is not to to be strong and to not feel anything, but it's is to feel everything and understanding and being in control of boosting some emotion, of uh, lowering some emotions if needed. And, uh, and yeah, it's very it's fascinating. It's something that I, I needed as a player when I was younger mm. and uh, something that I saw that a lot of players need when I started coaching. And I also realized that, unfortunately, it's not something that we coach as a team because 
it takes a lot of individual work. It's a lot of, of talks, a lot of discussions, a lot of questions to ask your players, a lot of exercises that you can do. But as a team, you just simply don't have time because you have 20 players and you cannot just spend that much time with everybody. Uh, so that's why I think you should be delegated as well. And I'm hoping to bring part of the solution with my training. 100%. You touch on something there as well. We'll get to the further in-depth part of, you know, what it means to to use and to, to really cherish the mental side of the game. But I wanted you to tell the people where you're coming from, you know, Obviously, you played soccer yourself. It's not you're not just a coach. Like you're not just like a Jose Mourinho. You were obviously a fairly good player. I'm almost certain of that. I know I haven't seen you, but I have the feeling that you were. So please tell them where you're coming from and you know who you played with per se and all, all of those things as well. Yeah. So I so I'm from France and I, I'm from the north. So I started playing in Lille, uh, Lille Olympic Soccer, the, where your friend uh, Jonathan uh, David. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing. He might leave. I think he might leave. I don't know. He might be going to Arsenal, play. actually. <laughs> Your club, don't you know? I'll take him. <laughs> uh, so I started in Lille from U8 to U12. Um, so right away in, in the professional environment, so it taught me a lot. Um, at U12, end of U12, uh, they released me because at this time they were they were looking for fast, strong players. That was a philosophy of football in France and, and of the club. And I was not fast and strong and fairly small. Uh, but I bounced back into uh, a club that just went into the first division as well called Valenciennes Football Club, so another pro club. And I went there for six years from U13 to U19. At 16 years old, I, si- I entered the academy. I signed a pre-professional contract called an aspiring contract for two years. So, you know, at 16, 17 years old, still making a bit of money while going to school. I'm thinking, yes, my dream of coming of playing pro is, is happening. That's mm-hmm. it. And uh, and those two years were actually the worst years of my life in terms of performance. I didn't play well. I wow. kept on getting hurt. Uh, I couldn't find my level. And of course, I didn't know why on the moment. Only later I realized it was because mentally I wasn't ready for that. I'm ready to cope with that pressure. And, uh, and so they released me after two years instead of signing pro. So big, big blow and... Uh, I went for a Division Two club, a League Two club. I played for the reserve team, and that's where I played with Angolo Conte. Wow! Incredible! Uh, for one year, but same thing. I was still about on that failure. I couldn't let it go and didn't play well either. And I realized I needed something completely different. So I came to the U.S., played in Division One in college uh, in Brooklyn, New York, for St. Francis. Mm-hmm. Played four years there, so he loved it. You're a champion, uh, man. You won. Won the, won the conference twice as a player. Uh, finished my last year as a captain. Just just loved the experience. It was we're living like professionals and not not getting paid for it, but living like professionals, and that's that's all I wanted to do anyway. And uh, and after the four years, I had some chances to play in the, in the USL, so the second division here in the US. But I just decided it was not for me anymore. I didn't want to to go through all of that again, mm-hmm. not knowing that I would get uh, a salary that I should have. Or I was just not feeling like playing at that level anymore. So I started coaching, and uh, actually I coached a bit before when I was in college as well. But uh, yeah, I fell in love with coaching. Coach for PhD Academy in New York, the Paris Saint Germain had an academy there. 
as well as being the assistant coach for two years for St. Francis. And we won again uh, two, two in a row. And then after that, the PSG Academy, I was coaching in the youth from like U8 to uh, U13, U14. Mm-hmm. We made a partnership with the French Football Academy. Uh, so we had great coaches from the, from the French national team coming to, to help us and, and try wow. to bring the French methodology of, uh, of coaching in the US. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 2020, I started uh, CC Management Football, where I help players with the mental aspect of the game and, and a bit more than that now as, as we evolve. And, uh, and now it's 2022 and uh, I'm going back into, uh, I took a year off to really focus on CC management football, but mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to coach a team as well, uh, as well as, as doing that because I miss team coaching. 100%. And I remember we spoke about this in the episode that you guys won't hear, but Cyril and I did talk about this and I asked him and he told me he played it as a center mid, as a center back, and at one point a striker as well. And I was saying how the spine of the team is so important that you were probably a you know big part of that when you're playing in those positions. Uh, do you yeah. feel like a responsibility in, in soccer is something that can, or football, you want to call it, can can take a toll on a player? You look at Harry Maguire, for example. He's the captain of one of the biggest clubs you know we've ever seen, and some of that pressure has obviously gotten to him mentally, and you see his performances drop off a little bit because of that. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so I started as number 10 striker when I was playing young because I was the best player of, my, of the team. Yes, sir. Well, talk you your, talk your stuff, Zero. Talk like your stuff. U7, U8, so it's, it's, not, it's not that crazy. No, but no, it's good. It's good, man. It's I, good. Then I started, I, I realized, and that's why the self-awareness is important, and that's what I do in the program. I realized that my type of play for my abilities would be more of a center mid, and I, I just love to, to get the ball back, to hustle, and then to distill that ball, and and, and pass it and share the ball instead of being that guy who's going to dribble and score. That was not what I was good at anymore uh, as the year goes on. Mm-hmm. And then I just went back and back and back. I didn't finish goalkeeper, <laughs> but I just went back into into centre-back. I do believe that maybe if I would have played centre-back earlier in my career, yeah. it could have been a bit different because I just didn't want to play there. I wanted to play six because I wanted to run. I wanted to get the ball and, and defend. I thought that was my position. Mm-hmm. But looking back now, if I would have started maybe two, three years, maybe it could have been different uh, because it was, I was actually... Now, like let's say now if I play in a serious game 11-11 in a local team here, mm. I would ask to play centre-back because that's where I would be more comfortable on the big field. If I play with my friend on a 99-77, there's no way I'm playing centre-back. <laughs> <You're> not <laughs> not no way. It's not the, it's not the most fun... Because for me, football needs to be fun and this yeah. is not the most fun position. But it's where I felt the best when, when the game and when the level was at my maximum. Uh, I think centre back was where I was the best. But um, second, rest of the question. Yeah, the other part I was asking, and I'll just remind you, was about the Hiram Maguire and saying how yeah. essentially he plays centre back, obviously. And you know, we always talk about when we spoke to each other about um, what it means when you are playing in a position or playing for a team where you you have so much pressure on you, so much expectations. And I just want to ask you a very, like, I guess, basic question for my knowledge and for the listener's knowledge. How do you manage those expectations when you're playing for a team with all that money or, you know, all that price tag that's around you and all that fame that's around you when you go to a, a big club or you're a big signing? I think the the, the responsibility is, is for every player on the team. But obviously, there's a certain position where you will feel more because... Uh, of the expectation of the fans, if you're a striker, you're expected to score goals. Like Benzema at some point was not 
a good striker in, in terms of how people see him because he, he didn't score a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. They didn't see how much he brought to the team in, in the linking play and all that because he had Ronaldo next to him scoring 40 goals a season. He was yeah. scoring 10. and say so he's not a good striker. So that's, that's also some type of pressure. And then you have defenders or you make a mistake or you just, that's a goal behind. So you get, you get, uh, you get killed for that. Same thing for the goalkeeper. If you have a left back and you're left mid, it could be a bit, um, maybe a little less pressure, but at the end of the day, it's, it's true for, for everybody. It's true to, to how they feel with that and how they can handle it. And that eventually is the difference between a player playing for the national team and, and one playing in the second division. The level in terms of technical abilities, tactical and physical, when the player just plays, just start playing in, in a pro club or is the difference between the two is not that big. But obviously, as the year goes on, then the gap becomes bigger and bigger between them two because of the, the you just you just you just adapt. As human beings, we're really good at adapting. So you play four or five seasons for Man U, at some point that fifth season, the pressure won't be the same. You won't feel it as much. You will be faster because you train every day and you have the nutri- uh, nutrition and all that. But mentally, you can get used to it. Um, but there's always some moments as well where it's going to be difficult. So that's when I believe you need to be able to to talk with your coach or with a mental performance coach or with a therapist if needed and and learn to to put everything into perspective. This is the, the, the best thing you can do. But for Maguire, for example, it's, it's such a difficult situation. He's doomed. He's doomed, Cyril. He's doomed. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But if he comes back from that, he is one of the strongest men, mentally, one of the strongest, strongest players. Yeah, I mean, we always talk I, about I, his... Uh, no, go on. I say I, I don't. I don't remember a player who's been killed that bad mm-hmm. and, and came back from it for the same club, or maybe maybe he needs to leave and go somewhere. But it's, it's very difficult. And if you ask him, like, did he want to be there? Did he want to be captain? You, no, maybe not. But mm-hmm. he had great season in Leicester. And, uh, was he Leicester? Yeah. yeah And then he goes there, of course you're going to say yes to Menu for 100 million. And then they have this tag on him when, to me, money doesn't make any, any, I mean, I could understand if a player gets bought for 100 million. It's like, oh my God, like, every time you step at practice, you're like, oh, look, he missed the touch. <laughs> that, that's what 100 million. Like, you can think of that. Yeah. You can, obviously. And then same thing when you play in a match, but... Next year, there will be another defender that's going to sell for 100. And the year after that, it's going to be 150. So this is what you you have to tell yourself. But it's very, very difficult. I hope he's going to come back from it because I don't think he's, it's fair whatever happened to him. I think it happens if in, in another club. Obviously, it's, it's Man United. And, uh, yeah. No, I, I, hope, I hope he can get back from it. I, I, I always feel like, too, when you're playing in the game that Sometimes what you need to remind yourself is that it's just a game. I know, obviously, you know, you, you're playing professionally and you're trying to win. You're trying to, you know, make the fans happy. All of those things, and that's important. But I feel like sometimes to enjoy it, yet you said it earlier, and we spoke about this off-air, about sometimes football is simply about having fun. Like, even if you're playing at the highest level, you're trying to win the Champions League to have fun. And I feel like players nowadays, and we'll get to this later on in the episode, where the impact of social media has changed what your objectives are when you're playing the sport. Like, it's no longer about the same reasons that it used to be. 
You know what I mean? I don't know, again, is that far off from what you see? Or are you saying, oh, Steven, you're crazy. That's not true. That's not true at all. I, I think I think it depends of, of the players, but I think it's also the perception that we have. Uh, and the good example is Pogba. He's being criticized a lot. He just had a documentary, like a documentary about him. He has like a Griezmann did that and killed his career when he made that documentary about Atletico. So to me, my advice, and I don't know if I'm old school because I'm not that old, but if you're a professional player, there's nothing good that can come out for you uh, to being on social media, except money and deals with brand and all that. I understand that, but there's a way to do it. For me, there's a way to do it that won't impact your performance and it's just delegating to somebody. To mm-hmm. a, give it to a company, give it to... Have one social media for just you and your friends. If you want, you make a fake account. I don't know. Like, Kylian Mbappé does this really well. Like, he, there's no... Like, I don't know how many team members or lawyers he has with him, but he hasn't made a single mistake yet in terms of in terms of maybe a couple of tweets and, and all yeah. that. but. but- but, but it's nothing that bad. Mm-hmm. And then it's fine to do all of this, like the pugmentary and all that. When you play well, it's fine. The moment you play bad, this is the first thing they're going to tell you. It's over. It's the first thing, the first thing that's going to come out. Is that why you're spending your time doing this when you should be focusing on... And they're right. Eventually, they're right. Yeah. Like, focus on your work. Focus on mastering your craft. That's what a professional is. Of course, it's a human being and they still have to live their life and all that. But you have to understand that you also say that. Say, you can't say no to like complete freedom once you become that big. And to me, I just don't understand why they, they do this and why they have the... I understand it, but I just think it's the wrong way of doing it. Okay, I agree. I agree. And just to finally on that, again, just to really put a, a, the nail in that coffin, you look at someone like Neymar, who I talk about a lot uh, amongst my friends, and I say... In my opinion, he could have been the best player to ever grace a football pitch. I genuinely believe that, given his natural ability and just, you know, the, the kind of intangibles that you see a player have, I think he has all of those. That's what I think. And to what you just said, I feel like because of this new age and new era, and he said this in his documentary, I mean, he's perfectly okay with the fact that he's become, a you know, more than just a soccer player, more than a footballer. But I feel like had this not been part of his world and it just been strictly about keeping your head down and being professional, as you said, it, to me... You, this might sound crazy, but you know, welcome to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast, where controversy is normal. He could have been better than Neymar, or better better than Ronaldo and Messi, in my opinion, given just how good he was on the level of becoming. But because of all of this stuff that came into the into the mix that you mentioned, I feel like he stunted his own growth that way, and now we're we're seeing the consequences of him just being you know celebrity and posting pictures and doing random stuff and not really giving his one hundred percent on the field. But there are thousands, if millions of players, and then maybe not millions, but okay. there's thousands of, <laughs> of players like him in Brazil, just in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And just that, as talented and as crazy. And listen, I've played in France my, my entire, from UA to U19 in professional clubs. And every year we had tournaments just against other professional clubs. And I've seen players, like you wouldn't believe what they would do with the ball. But are they pro? No, not even pro. Because it's more than that. It's more than just being good with the ball. And the second thing is you have the surrounding. So for Neymar, I believe it's the surrounding. Then you can ask yourself, is he okay with that? Maybe he doesn't want to be putting the work on the side and not feeling famous or not feeling that. And he's okay because he's still playing football, still making a lot of money, and he's still enjoying his life. And can you blame him? No, we blame him 
but we don't know what he wants. We so know what can... he could have been, mm-hmm. but maybe he could not even have been that because he just he doesn't have it in him. Yeah. So th- this is what a, a coach is supposed to do: is just support the player into what he wants to do, and then that's his responsibility. Too many people and too many coaches want, maybe for ego standpoint, want to help a player become the greatest. So they say, "Yeah, I did it." But no, maybe the player doesn't want to be the greatest. Maybe you want to be good and still enjoy his life. And there's a good example in tennis, a French player called Benoit Paire, super talented player, but he just, at the end, sometimes he's playing and he just miss on purpose because he doesn't want to, he, he says, it's okay, I keep playing tennis, I, I, I get my check, but I don't, I don't train. He never trains. He doesn't yeah. want to do it. Why are we mad at him? That's his choice. You know, same thing with Neymar. Yes, it's a waste. And yes, he could have been. And it would be amazing to see what he could have been. Mm. But that's his choice. Unless there's a wrong surrounding, like his father and all that. But we don't we don't know half of it. That's true. Yeah, I think you you were making a really good point with regards to, you know, the, uh, the, the Neymar situation and just exactly how, you know, we can't really act like we're in the know with those kind of players. And we're always in their circle and understanding what why they make the decisions that they make. But when we come back from the break, I wanted to ask you about the other side of the game, which is also obviously on the same lines. But just want to know, like if a player misses the penalty or if a keeper makes a very crucial mistake, you spoke about it before, but how do you recover from that is what I want to know more of. And when we come back, we'll discuss that in a second. And now, Cyril, what I really need to be asking you is the dirty, you know, grimy questions. And again... We spoke about him in the previous episode we make we made, and we'll speak about it in this one. Bukayo Saka, yes, you know, Arsenal's Messi, Arsenal's legend, the greatest ever player to play for Arsenal Football Club, according to Arsenal fans. He made, and he missed the penalty, should I say, obviously in the Euros against Italy, and went on to have a fantastic season. But typically, when you miss a penalty, it's demoralizing, and you feel like you never want to take another one again. Walk me through that step of, do I take a penalty? Do I not? And what happens to you when you miss one? What happens to you when you score one? Uh, walk me through that whole process. Well, f- first thing first, which Arsenal fans <laughs> was the best player ever? Don't, don't forget uh, Jerry Henry. Let's not forget about Jerry. Um, Many. Yeah. Uh, Many Arsenal fans. So... Yes, Saka, Saka, Saka missed the penalty and then we've talked about the way he got back into the season and he actually had to take very important penalties as well. We talk about the one against uh, Manchester United and that he scored. And for, for penalties, since it's a very technical and uh, special moment, it's just a, a gesture, it's just human ball and, and, and the goal is... It's all eyes on you. It's not like as if you would miss an open play, for example. It's very different. Penalties, the best way, and that's, I think that's what I said last time, it's simply just to try and score another one. That's the only thing that will make you go back uh, into full confidence and into confidence of taking them. So it's just like a, a circle, but you, the moment you're not confident into doing something, you need to be able to experience uh, making it. So he's, obviously it sounds very, very simple, but he's got to, he's got to practice uh, into training, but he has to take one in the match. He has to. And the longer you wait, the more difficult it is to, to, to get over it. So the best thing is to take the next one. 
there's an ex-penalty. And, and we see that a lot, actually, when penalties get... Um, uh, there's a penalty, the player miss, and the goalie was off his line or whatever, and he has to retake it. Mm-hmm. They never change the, the penalty taker. It's always the same one going back in. And you, you could wonder, you'd be like, oh, now it's like almost gambling, and he knows, like, you play with the goalkeeper, what's happening? Yeah. How about you just... Because the player doesn't want to stay on that, you need to be able to score to feel better about it. It's, it's that simple. Yeah. And the, the confidence, your confidence comes from what you experience and all the, uh, the difficulties you went through. So a player who's never going to miss and then finally is going to miss, he's going to have a lot of a hard time getting over it. A player who's missed a couple of times and then scored again, and then missed, and then scored again, he will be a bit easier for him to, to go back into that full confidence. Uh, but, but the important part is to know that all of that you can earn. It's not something you learn. It's not by what reading books or, or watching. And of course, you can analyze your running technique, your breathing technique. Like You can analyze what can you do better, your routine before you take the penalty. But at the end of the day, it's just earning it by, by doing it. So earn it. Just go take another one and, and until you score. If you miss again, take another one until you score. Understood. I thought, and I, I mean, you're going to laugh at me when I say this, but I'll give more of my personal perspective on this. I was never that guy to take penalties with my high school team and my club team. Never. I was always like extremely, extremely shy, extremely, extremely fearful of the possibility of missing, you know? As I get older, that changes a bit more because I'm more mature and I'm more capable of like, I want the moment. Like I kind of, I'm like hungry for it. As a kid, I was like, I don't want to be responsible. Don't get, don't get mad at young Steven, your young little cute Steven in the corner. Leave him alone. I'm just trying to, you know, be part of the team, you know? And I feel like what your advice of saying that you make sure that you tell yourself that even if you miss, you will have another chance to score again. And I feel like if you don't ever give yourself that chance, you're never going to be able to rectify the mental gymnastics you're going through from missing, you know? And I want to to kind of continue this thread along to another part of the game where let's say, for example, you know, you get sent off, which a lot of times in football can be favorable. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's good. But you cost your team the entire game. Would you apply the same tactics that you just mentioned for penalties to that as well, where you see, like, you go into the locker room and you see the guy, like, he literally, he ruined the match, like, opening five, ten minutes, and it's ten men, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, like, you know, the game is over now. Like, basically we lost because we're playing from behind at this point. And how do you kind of manage that, you know, um, feeling of knowing you just, you know, destroyed the whole match for your team? You're talking about uh, holding against Tottenham. I didn't bring up any names, you know. I didn't say any names. I don't want to mention any names. I don't want to say anything too specific. Granted, Jaka is a big name comes to mind, you know. Walking red card, Jaka. So I just want to give you some names, you know. No, but um, red card is a bit different because it could be seen as a mistake, but it could also be seen as just a lot of uh, passion. And then, of course, there's stupid red cards, but there's also smart ones. If I didn't make a foul in the 19th minute because... That's that's a different story. But how do you go over that? First of all, you gotta you gotta take responsibility for it. I think it's the first step. You gotta stand up at the end of the game and say sorry or say whatever you want to everybody. I think it's going to kind of clear the air. And if somebody has something to tell you, he will tell you now, and then we can all move on. If you don't talk about it and you act like hey, it was not my fault, like nothing good can come out of that. You messed up, just say, I messed up. Sorry, guys, this loss is on me. Boom. And then you just look at it as what it is. Just look at it as an information, as data. We lost a game. 
because I got a red card. Mm. Now I'll be a bit more... Something that I've learned and not too long ago, and I wish I learned that before because I had a really bad relationship with losing. And when I went to the Cruyff Institute uh, in Amsterdam to do a Master of Coaching, a teacher told me, see every loss or every failure, every defeat as what it is, as an information, as data. And everything, every time that happens, I could play like tennis with my friend and I make a mistake. Instead of going mad, I'm just going to be like, okay, data, what is it? I missed my forehand because blah, blah, blah. And if you go into analysis right away, then you take the emotions out and it's a bit easier to get over it. I'm not saying it's going to work all the time, but you could get over it a little bit faster than if you still have your emotion and you really haven't uh, got over it on your own. So take it as an information. What is it? We lost a game. I got a red card. Am I the first one? No. Is it the only game we're going to... No. We will lose another game. And it becomes a bit easier. For sure. And now on to the big, big thing. We're going to end on this on a bang. Because I feel like this in, in football is... For some players, it makes their careers because they don't get any. For other players, it ends their careers because they get various injuries. Now, this to me is a big deal. I know you've suffered when I remember you spoke about this. You can explain your own situation. I'll say mine, which happened recently, actually, which is where I basically dislocated my kneecap, which is disgusting. If you know, nobody wants to ever, nobody wants to get injured, but that injury was nasty. Like I could hear the cracking of my knee and coming back in and out. It was really bad. But I'm back and I'm better. I am playing again and I'm on the field and I'm, you know, like you told me and like you were saying to me off air and also on, on the episode now about being able to get over that and just, you know, telling yourself that, you know, in order to get over it, you have to kind of face it and not just, you know, not play soccer again and say, I'm not going to touch the field again. I'm going to actually um, work towards getting better. So tell me about your injury experiences and what you used to do and what you think you could do and, and tell your own, you know, um, students and players to do when they get injured. So on my side, I, I got hurt a couple of times. Nothing crazy, crazy, but... Um, <laughs> The one that really hurt me the most, and I was at that time when I was in the contract, I broke I broke my foot during training, so the fifth metatarsal on the side of my foot, and this one hurt because it was about three four months, and then you have to three yeah I think it was three months before any before any running, so it's a total of four five months, um, and that was like in January, so it was really bad timing too. Um, what can you do? One thing I tell my players now is the first thing I tell them is um, injuries are part of the footballer's life. If you don't want injuries, play ping pong, play whatever. <laughs> you, cannot, you cannot expect to do a professional career and not getting hurt. So, of course, there are some that are worse than others. But sometimes you get a, how do they call it in English when you get hit on the side, like Charlie? Charlie horse. Charlie horse. You get you get all this stuff. That's injuries as well. So it's a hit. It's not as bad as breaking a leg or doing your ACL. But you're going to get hurt. Just know that. And then it's about not denying it. And the moment you hurt, face it. And be like, okay, what can I do? First thing first, heal. And nobody's going to, if people come and oh, you'll be okay. You'll come back stronger. That does nothing to you. Right now, you just need to to be mad, be sad, be angry at everybody for a week, for two weeks, as long as it takes. Start healing, 
do everything you can do your research on how can you fasten the process a little bit what should you eat well how many times can you do the rehab how many times can you ice it how many times can you uh, do the um, infrared whatever it is and then slowly go back into it and be patient the the hard part is being patient and patience again it's not doing nothing it's repeating something over and over and over until you see the result and not not um not uh, diminishing the diminishing the the effort so it's not easy but understand it's part of your life and yeah first accept it heal be patient and then slowly go back into it and then the fear of getting hurt again i think this one is uh, is simply with time that you go back and you play and what you can do is find a way for you to keep on improving while you are hurt because if you are hurt it means you can't be on the field but it doesn't mean you cannot be training okay you can be training your upper body if it's your lower body you can be doing a lot more match analysis read about uh, read uh, learn about your position a bit more you can uh, do visualization that has actually an effect as well on healing as well we, we saw that a lot of research have done that uh, you can learn about your nutrition well, how can you really maximize every single uh, aspect of your of your game knowing that you cannot be running and playing. So you can physically and technically you will lose, but that's two things that are coming back pretty fast. So how can you improve mentally and tactically? Mm. Those two things requires no physical effort. So it's your job to do it. So you can also see it as an opportunity. And if, if young players were 13, 14 year old, they had that uh, disease at this time called the Osgood Schlatter on, on the neck, on the knees, yeah. something very common where you have to start for three, four months, that's even easier for you because now you can relate and put this into perspective. How long are you going to play soccer for? Another 10, 15, 20 years? Okay, what, what is three, four, five months? Take time to do something that you haven't had time to do. Go to, go to the movies, go swim, go to whatever it is. And that's true for professional players as well. Take that time to do, to do something different and see it as an opportunity. Wow. That was a, re- a very, very profound answer. I was touched just listening to that <laughs> as the host, <laughs> let alone people listening as, as listeners. But I needed to, could you touch on something really specific that I thought was really, really interesting where you were saying about being patient and you were talking about, you know, essentially how this process is one where you realize that what's the bigger picture of what I'm actually doing. And I feel like when you're playing the game, and I say this a lot, because I always tell people this and even my own players that, it's about being in the moment. Like sometimes getting injured, of course, you don't want it to happen, but it's actually part of your journey. Like you can actually recover from that and become better from it than you were when you weren't injured. Like I'll say for me personally, when I got injured, my whole life changed. I'm, I'm not even going to lie. You guys listening, this is probably news to you maybe, but I'm a different person than when I was before I got injured. I can feel it. And I feel like it gives you some clarity, as you said, it gives them some perspective to kind of grow as a person, which changes how you play the game, obviously, and you know, technically as well. My last, last, last question. I promise you, I know more after this. I know more, I know more, no more taxing you. But if you had to pick between a player that has excellent tactical and, you know, mental understanding of the game, but no physical ability, like we're talking like looking like, uh, I can't even, I don't want to disrespect him. <laughs> I can't give you an example right now, but very limited ability versus a player who's extremely gifted technically and, you know, has a lot of talent on the ball, but mentally, you know, they're gone. Which would you say is the more favorable out of the two of those? Favorable for what? 
for you to pick as a player in your team, like would you pick a player that has no no mental, like no connection to the game mentally, but just very good on the ball, or, or very good mentally but no ability on the ball? Oh, this is this is impossible to answer. You don't want either, huh? I need, I need the team, I need, there's too much. I okay, okay, there's too, there's too many variables. Okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, but to be to be serious, it's, it's this is why also like people. I'm not saying you because you had the questions, but like when people watch TV, watch the games, and you know you don't you don't just assemble a team like that, just like PSG is doing. You don't do you don't do that. You don't do FIFA. EA Sports. It's in the game. Because it's not working. So to choose between a player who's maybe a, not as good but has a great mental, or a player who's talented and has no mental, like. It's 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 very difficult because you don't know you don't know if they're willing to change number one you don't know if they want to you don't know there's there's too many variables but one thing is for sure is that an average player who's really really focused and really wants to do good for the team he will be better I'm not saying he's going to make you win games but for the team in terms of understanding your role and agreeing to your role and, and being into that, that atmosphere, that will, I'd rather choose that. Okay. But the talented player, if you manage to switch it or something in his head, mm. he will make you win the games and the championship. At the high, I'm talking highest, highest level, of yeah, course. Yeah, of course. Um, so it's, it's, it's a choice to make. And I think it just depends of the teams, the, the players around him. It depends of, of the club and, and all that. But, yeah, I think a good average player with a great mentality will will be a bit more consistent. But you, you're gonna need some talent around him, and then uh, yeah, talented player you never know because talented <laughs> player just know that a talented player means everything he's been doing since he's young has been easy for him. The moment he feel like his superpower is not there anymore, or there is a lot of players around him with the same superpower as him. Do you understand what it does to him? It's 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 like it's ten times worse than a player who's has been struggling and then gets you know benched a little bit and then he goes back in and he's used to that so you know he can come back. If you always been a starter, the first time you get on the bench, you're 19 years old. This one's going to hurt you mm-hmm. and a lot more. So this is why we talented players are not really understood. Uh, how to manage them is very, very difficult. But that's the beauty of coaching, that you cannot apply the same technique with every player. It's not working. You need to feel it. You need to, to try an error. You need to do a lot of things to to finally find some type of formula. And this is why Ancelotti is amazing to me and why he's, he's doing that with all these teams. They never play amazing football. No. But all these players, they die for him, they play with full confidence and they win championships and they win Champions Leagues. Wow. Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Steven Talk Soccer Podcast. I'm mesmerized. I'm almost certain your jaws have all been dropped right by now as well. Uh, This will not be the only episode I do with Cyril. Make sure that you guys go check him out too. I'll have all of his links to his, you know, to working for him and I mean, working for him, that's, 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 a, that's a crazy sentence. Being one of his players and underneath his tutelage and, and his guidance, all of his business stuff will be written in for you guys to go reach out to him. Uh, Cyril, you want to plug anything else yourself? You can. 
from me, though, that's all I got to say. You know, make sure you guys check out the new episodes. Make sure to check out all the other episodes on the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. Much more is coming. Make sure to download, to subscribe, to follow. Do all of that good stuff on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on. So you can take us away to the moon, and we'll end it there. Uh, yeah, last thing, I just want to thank you again, Stephen, for for the talk. It's twice now we, we're doing this, and it's both as fun. So, honestly, I'm really loving it. It's a pleasure talking with you, and I really enjoy what you do. So, congratulations, and, and keep, in, keep it going, really. Uh, and then the second part is, like, if any any players are listening to this or coaches, uh, of course, get in touch, and I'll be happy to, to support you in your journey and see how I can help you. I have a 12 weeks online training program to get in control of your mental abilities. And in a couple of weeks, brand new program coming out, four weeks uh, off-season training. So it's a four-week training to make sure that players arrive on day one of preseason fully ready. So recover from the past season, prepare, grind, polish all of that, and then you arrive on day one uh, ready because we know how important uh, the preseason and the first few weeks are for for, for a player and for a team. So this is my brand new brand new course coming up uh, July 5th, hopefully. So yeah, there's a lot happening. Make sure you follow CC Management Football on, uh, on social media and, and get in touch if needed. 100%. And welcome to the SDS squad. Come and pick up a jersey number, ladies and gentlemen. Steven, out. <laughs> hey, everyone. Are you enjoying the content? please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talks Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talks Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.